Good morning, everybody. Yes, stand up. I just, I love it. Y'all just keep talking. It's awesome. It's great. That's terrific. Hey, welcome to, I, I looked it up. Welcome to episode 35 of the podcast. Um, as we're studying the book of Revelation at Holy Trinity Lutheran Church in Rogers, Arkansas. I am Pastor Longman and joined by 30 or so of my closest friends. Um, as usual, we'll start off with just Q&A. Anybody have any questions about anything? Something yesterday, and I don't know if John and Brittany care, but John is the child of a minister. Yes, Brittany's a child of a minister. Yes. And I thought, well, no wonder he knows so much about the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> and no wonder she sings so well. <laughs> They've been in church. Yeah. <laughs> Did you talk to John before you outed him? <laughs> oh, it's fine. Yes. <laughs> I looked at him. He didn't thank her. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's actually, I'm delighted to have them here. They keep me on the straight and narrow. You know? <laughs> Between John and Brittany and Pastor, and Pastor Linder's not here, but you know, yeah, all these, all these folks are keeping up. Well, and your dad was a pastor, and <laughs> your grandfather was a pastor, and my grandfather was a pastor. Who else has somebody, parent or grandparent or something that was a pastor? My mother was Deb? a Sunday school teacher. <laughs> that counts? Uh, sure. Oh, it didn't work. And, and truly, what a blessing that is, right? That, that that's passed down from generation to generation. Actually, I read in a book somewhere that we were supposed to do that. So, <laughs> Tell your children. Wasn't the firstborn supposed to be dedicated? <laughs> oh, yeah, well, there's that too. Yeah, right? Are you the firstborn? No. See, I'm the middle child, I'm so it didn't fourth. really matter to me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Nothing mattered for me. I was the middle child. <laughs> Did everybody get a sheet? Your sheets should say lesson 14 in the top corner. Um, we have some more up here if you need one. And if you didn't sign in, just let us know and we'll add you to the list because Nikki's got it right now. Um, just a couple of things schedule-wise. Um, Christmas Eve is Friday. Worship is at 7 p.m. That'll be the candlelight service. Um, Christmas Day, we have a 10 a.m. worship service with communion. So join us for that. Next Sunday, I, I turned everything on its head, um, realizing that that would be a what we call a low Sunday um, because everybody will have been at church in the last couple of days. So we're going to have one service on Sunday, 10 a.m., no Bible study, no Sunday school, just worship and go back home and play with, play with your new toys. That's the 26th, <laughs> the day after Christmas. So 7 p.m. Christmas Eve, 10 a.m. Christmas Day, 10 a.m. day after Christmas. Okay, And then come the new year, we'll get back into our regular schedule. Somebody had Judy. 10 a.m. Uh, on Sunday. Yes. No communion. Right. No communion. No Bible study, no Sunday school, just come worship. Yeah. Okay. Any questions about that? Um, you get a sneak peek of the qualifications that no. we were putting together. <laughs> We've been in a race. But I think you need a new marker. Yeah, you're right. This is um, the call committee working on qualifications for our new pastor. Um, so that's you will see more of that as it comes along. Have you uh, heard how Cameron's doing? I talked to Cameron last week, week before. They're doing great. They're doing great, yeah. 
I think he's settling in and he likes it. He's he's busy. I think he teaches. They're block scheduled, so it's you know four class periods in a day, yeah. and he's on for three of them. Yeah, so he just, they've got enough kids that he's, you know, he's got a religion class for 7th and 8th graders, three out of the four periods every day. So, but he has, he has, he's in the enviable position for somebody in that role of teaching religion class in a Lutheran school. Normally you, you know, you take your stuff around with you and you go to different classrooms to do it. He actually has a classroom. And so the kids are coming to him. That's unusual. Um, so I think he's liking that. But yeah. yeah, they're doing well. They're doing well. Yeah. All right. Any other questions about anything? We'll start with a devotion. Um, again, from the book by Faith Alone, which is a collection of devotions by Martin Luther. But I, I'll hold this up for you. It won't help you because it doesn't look like this anymore. Um, if you go to buy one at Amazon, you can get it, but you're going to have to search by title because it won't look like this. But it's called By Faith Alone. Um, Today's uh, devotion is from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. At that time, the Emperor Augustus ordered a census of the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And the title of this is Christ's Birth and His Kingdom. Luther says, It's interesting that Luke makes a point of saying this census was the very first one. A new census was conducted from time to time, but taxes were demanded every year. The religious leaders challenged Christ about those taxes in Matthew twenty-two seventeen. When Christ was arrested, they even falsely accused him of telling people not to pay taxes to the Romans. The Israelites paid their taxes unwillingly, and they hated the taxation and the laws of the Roman emperor. They claimed that because they were God's people, they ought to be free from the emperor. They argued over whether they should have to pay tribute money at all. But they had to pay it anyway because they couldn't defend themselves by force. They wanted to pull Christ into the middle of this dispute and hand him over to the Roman authorities. So this census was nothing more than a common duty in all lands. Every year, a tribute was due from every person. But notice how Luke chooses his words precisely. The birth of Christ occurred during the reign of the emperor Augustus and when Quirinius was the governor of Syria, the Roman district that included Israel at the time. The fact that Christ was born during the first census shows that his kingdom wasn't political and his reign wasn't over secular rulers. Instead, he subjected himself and his parents to these rulers if Christ had wanted to show that he wouldn't be subject to others, he could have been born before the census. The timing of Christ's birth, which was by God's design and intention, shows us that he didn't want to reign in the world. Interesting thought. Um, we pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for this day. Uh, we thank you for all the blessings that you pour out upon us and especially uh, the gift of faith and the opportunity to gather around your word and to be fed by it. We pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to be with us today as we study your word. Open our hearts and our minds to it to understand and to take away from it the truth that you want us to know. Be with us as we study, we pray in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. Your sheet should have number 14 up in the top corner. We finished 13 last week in a marathon sprint to the end, right at the, at the end of... What? We did like eight questions last week or something. I don't know what happened. 
Usually we get two. <laughs> but we move now into chapter 12, and this marks a significant division in Revelation. We've experienced two cycles of plagues already, one of them involving the seven seals and the other involving seven angels with trumpets. Now the third and the last cycle won't be revealed until chapter 16. And in the meantime, John pauses to explain the root cause of the church's persecution by the world and to illustrate how Christians are once more engaged in a struggle against evil. So we will read chapter 12 once I get to it here and then talk about it. Hey, Ken. Are you bringing us donuts? Enjoying your class. Thank you, Ken. No, y'all send them around if there's one left. Okay. <laughs> I always go last. That's the rule. All right, Revelation chapter 12. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony for they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle, so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness, to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. And then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus and he stood on the sand of the sea. Here ends the reading. 
Whoa! So was this the point that Satan was thrown out of heaven? That's part of it for sure. There's a whole lot of stuff being wrapped up in that one story. There's, and we're going to dig into it and get into what's going on. But for sure, that was part of it. Yeah. What else? Observations, aha moments, thoughts. What's going on? I just had the thought this is a very present reality. Yeah. That uh, when it says specifically, like, uh, the dragon went off to make war with the rest of her offspring. He's coming after Christians. He's making yeah. more of the church. Yeah, yeah. We see that every day. Yep, exactly. And 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 maybe more so, probably in the last ten years, it has been more and more obvious that Satan's coming after Christians. Yeah. So you picked up on the metaphors of what's going on here: who the woman is, who the child is, who the dragon is, all that kind of stuff. If you're not quite sure what's going on, we'll get there. We're going to walk through all this stuff. Um, but, yeah. All right, so we'll start with this, the first question, unless anybody else has an observation or, or a thought. Well, who is the woman? Who is the woman? Huh. I'm going to say hold that thought for a minute. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> because I, I think there will come a moment where you're going to go, oh, and it'll make perfect sense. Okay? <laughs> if not, I'll tell you. <laughs> so describe the radiant woman of Revelation 12, 1 and 2. Pregnant. She was pregnant, yeah. Screaming and hollering. Screaming and hollering, okay. Yep. In verses 1 and 2, clothed with the sun, right? With the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. And she was pregnant. Gail, who might she represent? It's <laughs> the very second question. Nobody I know. Okay, nobody I know? Ah, I beg to differ. So, who does the woman represent? Yeah. Okay, Israel. Who said that? Marianne? Okay. Israel, tell me more about that. Okay, all right. So, so you're seeing it as kind of this Old Testament promise that the, the child would come forth from the Israelites. and Yeah, okay. So in that sense, the woman might represent Israel. Other thoughts on who she might represent? There are a couple of verses we can look up, but we'll poke at it for a little bit first. Well, yeah, Tony. Oh, our mother. Okay, mother of all believers. Ooh, that's cool. Paul uses some language like that when Paul talks about, especially when he talks about Timothy and Titus. Um, he talks about it being their father in the faith. You know, in this kind of family relationship that we're called into when we're called into the church. Okay, so the mother of all of us who have faith. Any other thoughts? She's the church. She's the church. Yeah. So she represents... Now, what you didn't come up with is important. The thing you didn't say was, she's Mary. <laughs> well, I would have said that, but that doesn't... It doesn't feel right, does it? No. no, it doesn't yeah. feel right. Yeah. So she's not Mary. But the, pains, the pains, like as Christians, we go through a lot of pains to support our faith and we're being bombarded by all of the like, things. Right. So we're going through a lot Which of is that, that's that power of Satan coming after all of her offspring, well, and we are those. Marianne. Israel's going through 
will, at the time, would be going through a lot of pain to become the future Israel, restored the restored right. Israel. Right. Around. Now, what happens with that, though, and the re this is the reason I push back on what do you mean by Israel, is that Paul does something kind of unusual in some of his writing. Israel had, up to that point, always meant those who were descended from Abraham. And that's kind of when, when, the, when you said Israel in those days, you know, when Jesus came, everybody thought the Israelites. They thought those who were descended from Abraham, that's who Israel is. Paul has this amazing encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus, and he becomes an apostle, and he's sent out, and his mission field is the Gentiles. Now, remember, the whole world is divided into Jews and Gentiles. I mean, you're one or the other. That's it. And Paul is given this mission to go to the Gentiles with this message of salvation about Jesus Christ. And one of the things that Paul does is he, as in his writing is he redefines Israel. Suddenly, Israel is not about being descended from Abraham. Israel is about being a child of God. Like Tony's using that language about believers. Yeah, exactly. So, so all of a sudden, Israel is not about your earthly lineage traced back to Abraham. It's actually about your spiritual lineage traced back to the Holy Spirit and to God as he brought you to faith. So if you're part of Israel, let me rephrase that. You are part of Israel if you are a believer. So, so there's this twist that happens to what Israel means. And that's, that's why I was pushing on that. Yeah. So the Galatians verse talks about the city of Jerusalem being its mother. Being, okay. Being mother. Right. And that's where the Holy Spirit first came upon right. everybody. Right. So, so Jerusalem is, is the mother giving birth. Yeah. So so there's there's a couple of there's some layers going on here. Okay. What we're basically talking about is this woman as the mother of the church which was born through Christ and his suffering on the cross. In Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, right. So that makes Jerusalem then the seat or the cradle of all of that, that it, it springs up out of Jerusalem. The mother has birthed it from, right. from that spot. Right, so that becomes, I, I used the term this morning in worship, that you know when God decided he was going to come into his own creation, he had to stick a pin in a map somewhere, and that's you know where he did it. Um, ultimately was was Israel, Jerusalem, Bethlehem, Nazareth, you know, Galilee, all of that business. So Revelation 21, 2. Did somebody look that one passage up? That one verse? 21 verse 2. Pastor. Yes. In the men's class who came in, where are you right now? In oh, we're in I'm sorry if you guys didn't get it. We're in Revelation chapter 12. And we have more sheets here if you'd like one with the questions on them. Yeah, yeah send that over to Dave. We, we don't do questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be perfectly honest, we don't really either. But <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Dave. Thank you. All right, Revelation 21 2. Yeah. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. Cool. All right. And then you said the other passage from Galatians was similar, Pam? Um, Galatians 4.26. 4.26 is, but the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. 
Oh, okay. So that, yeah, that wraps all of this metaphor up, right? So the woman represents the, the entire church, all believers. And you got a couple of clues of what's going on here. This, you know, the image of this woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, clearly paints it as something, <coughs> excuse me, bigger than just a physical woman, right? Um, on her head, a crown of 12 stars. That evokes all that business about the Old Testament and the 12 tribes of Israel, but it also evokes the 12 apostles, all of that kind of stuff, which sort of brings you to that church stuff. And she was pregnant and crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. Now, there, like I said, there are layers going on here. So predominantly, <coughs> I don't know what's in my throat, but <clears throat> thank you. Predominantly, what we're talking about is the birth of the church. <clears throat> but I don't want to get too far ahead of myself here. Well, she gives birth to a son. Yeah. I won't go there yet. <laughs> Let's just say there's another thing going on. And she had a lot of other children because he was going to go to their children. Or their children. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It was not. I think he's the firstborn and then oh, a bunch so afterwards. So if the 24 elders, see, I probably already covered all this. If the 24 elders represented the church of God through both the Old Testament, 12 tribes of Israel, and the New Testament, 12 apostles, what might be the significance of the woman carrying only 12 stars? Which portion of the church does she represent, Old or New Testament? Well, <clears throat> it was written to the New. Okay. But Marianne had a point that, you know, we're, we're kind of, this is all kind of happening at the tail end of Old Testament period, right? What's the passage say? Isaiah 26, 17. Well, if the 12 represent both those, then why wouldn't it just be a both and? Both yeah, and. I think that works. Isaiah 26, 17. Like a pregnant woman who writhes and cries out in her pangs, when she is near to giving birth, so were we because of you, O Lord. Um, so I, I would suggest that initially, like at her appearance, she represents the Old Testament church out of which the Messiah was born. And then to Tony's point, she becomes the mother of all believers because it's the Christian church that takes life after that. So, in a sense, it is both and. Right. Beginning with the Old Testament. Problems. You're awesome. This is terrific. Thank you so much. So, the Old Testament is the woman <clears throat> trying to, to come to God and failing <clears throat> that, that circle of they sin, they come back, they sin, they come back. And as the woman struggling through those pains as Israel is struggling to try and get closer to God, and then the birth of the child is the birth of the New Testament with Christ. Okay. That works. <laughs> I, that wasn't in my head, but I like it. Um, because because I, I think there is something to that, that you know, the promise is given in the Old Testament. That, that there would be one who would come forth and, and there would be a Messiah or a Christ who would come forth and save everybody. So 
I'm hesitating because of where we're going to wind up going with this, okay? <clears throat> because the second thing that happens, I'm going to get a little bit ahead of myself. The second thing that's going on is the, the Satan is right there waiting for her to give birth because he wants to devour the child right away. And she gives birth and the child is snatched up away from him. He can't do it. In that, what was it, like a verse? Two verses that had that? There's the entire life of Christ, okay? That Christ is the child who was born. Satan's waiting there going, <laughs> here comes the offspring that was promised. I'm going to get him. And, and, and 30 years pass and he doesn't, can't. And so the woman becomes symbolic of the birth of the church, but also the birth of Christ, which is what led to the church. Does that make sense? So that's why I say we've got layers going on here. There's a lot of stuff that's being brought into this. Thoughts, questions, complaints? Pastor? 33 years in human history was the chance Satan had to destroy and disrupt. That's the only chance he had. That was had. it? So he yeah. pulled out all the stops. Yeah. Yeah. While Christ was in a state of humiliation. Right. Where was Satan all these 33 years? Running rampant all over the earth. Yeah. Prowling around like a hungry lion looking for someone to devour. And he still is. So. Look at the what second thing in Jesus' ministry after he's baptized. Yeah. He goes to the desert with the with yeah, yeah. So that's, he's right there. Mark's account of that is awesome, by the way. Just, we're going to rabbit hole, y'all. <laughs> Mark's account, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. John pops up, baptizing in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance. All right, there's the forerunner. All the country was going out to him. John was clothed in camel's hair. Crazy looking guy. Wore a leather belt. Ate locusts and wild honey. He preached. It ain't about me. It's about the guy coming after me. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. <laughs> this is the Longman Amplified Translation. So, Bert, yeah, That's Hebrew. So... <laughs> I'm losing him. I'm losing him. Verse 9, Jesus came and was baptized. That's it. One verse. And when he came up out of the water, immediately saw the heavens being torn open, the spirit descending on him like a dove. A voice came from heaven. You're my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. The spirit, and I, I'm going to retranslate because I got to. The translation that we have, ESV, says the spirit drove him out into the wilderness. Uh-uh. No, that's not near good enough. Because the word underneath it is ekbalo. It's the spirit flung him into the wilderness. <laughs> so you have this picture of Jesus. He comes up out of the water. He's like, cool, I'm the son of God. He's in the wilderness all of a sudden. And he's like, what, what just happened? I'm not sure that's exactly how it played out, but that's how I envision it in the movie. <laughs> ekbalo. It just, he flung him, threw him like a ball into the wilderness. He's just translating his fun. Um, okay, so was it the Old Testament church or the New Testament church that looked forward to giving birth to the Messiah through David's lineage? 
Old Testament, certainly. But the New Testament church looked back on that birth and recognized that Jesus is the Messiah who was promised, right? The Old Testament has this promise that says that out of you, Bethlehem, will come, this is one of the readings today, out of you, Bethlehem, you're too little to even be considered one of the tribes, and yet from you will come one. And it'll, that's the birthplace of Jesus, then, is Bethlehem, this little bitty city just outside of Jerusalem. But the New Testament looks back and nods and says, yeah, and that, was, that was the Messiah. That was the birth of the Christ. And that's, that's that breakage with what Israel used to be. Because now being part of Israel is being part of those who believe and understand that Jesus Christ is the Messiah who was promised and now who has come. And so Jew-Gentile takes on a whole different kind of deal. Israel-non-Israel is believers-non-believers. Not who's your daddy, you know? Okay. To whom does the woman, the Old Testament church then, give birth Described in Revelation as a son, a male child who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. Who does she give birth to? Jesus. Yeah, it's Jesus Christ himself. Um, stop right there. Thoughts, questions? Why in Revelations would you talk about birth? So, that's a really good question. Why are we doing this? I thought we were talking about the end of time. Right? right? So why does John all of a sudden stop, and he's going to stop for four chapters, and go back with all, and, and plow over this old ground? And the reason is this. Remember who John's audience is. Who's he writing to? He's writing to persecuted, persecuted Christians. Yeah. He's writing to Christians who are, who are spectacularly crucified and persecuted. Well, that too. But... You know, not just we're not going to pray in school. I mean, these are people like, are you a Christian? Cool, we're going to kill you. That kind of persecution. And so there's, for these folks who are dealing with that kind of persecution, there's, on some level, they're asking themselves, why is this happening? Why are we, as followers of Christ, having to deal with this? And, and so what John, I think, is doing, moved by the Holy Spirit, obviously, who's doing it, is he's saying, let me back up and explain to you why things are the way they are. And, and it goes back to the coming of the Christ and the fact that people are opposed to that and they don't want to believe that he's the Christ. And Satan is behind all of this stuff because his fondest hope and desire is to destroy the church and the Christ and everything that is that it represents. And, and so he's got it. And of course, all of this stuff uses a lot of metaphor and imagery and all that kind of stuff. But he's basically saying, this is why the world is the way it is. Because of Satan. And that's ultimately what he points to is the cause of all of it. Is that Satan has been going after, desperately wanted to kill the Messiah when he came, wasn't able to do it thrown out of heaven, doesn't know what he's going to do next. The only thing he can figure out to do is to go after all of those who have come behind and who are believers and who trust in it. That's you. 
That's why this is what it is. It's why we're dealing with what we're dealing with. It worked with Eve. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> I mean, yeah. started the whole mess. He worked with it. Yeah. yeah. He won. It all began. For Satan. a minute. Yeah. <laughs> Satan all began with Adam and Eve. We all turned to be sinners because of Eve. Yeah. And Adam, too, who was standing right there with her and could have yeah. stopped her and should. I think they were set up. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> All right. Um, let's talk about this dragon then. Verses 3 and 4 in Revelation 12. Um, another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head, heads seven diadems. So describe him. What have we got here? Another movie. Yeah, right. So a great big red dragon. It's the devil. Yeah, I mean, you, you see that and you're like, oh, I know who that guy is, right? Great red dragon, seven heads, ten horns, on his head seven diadems. Um, remember, seven is a number of completeness, okay? So, and the number ten represents, like, fullness. So... A horn is a symbol of power. Um, so when we've got all of that, if seven is completeness, ten is fullness, a horn is a symbol of power, what does it suggest about the claims of the dragon when he carries, let's go through these things, seven crowns? Okay. Um yeah, that's actually pretty good. This, what I have written down is the seven crowns represent supreme kingship. There's an interesting thing going on. The Greek word that's used for crown here is diademata. Diadem. Right, a diadem. That's not the same as the crown of victory that the 24 elders were wearing back in Revelation 4. Remember we had the elders and they were all wearing a crown too? Yeah. They're wearing a Stephanos, which is a crown of victory. The dragon is wearing a diademata or diadem, which is a crown of power. Um, so this is about power, not victory. Okay? What about the ten horns? Yeah, that's a claim of great power, right? Fullness of power. Seven heads. Want to guess at that one? Seven is a, is a number of, of completeness, right? So what about heads? What would a head represent? Knowledge. Wisdom, yeah, knowledge, wisdom. So seven heads is a claim of universal wisdom. Now... Pastor. When Satan tempts Jesus, one of the temptations includes the devil's claim that all of this had been given to him. And he'd be willing right. to give it back to Jesus if Jesus would worship. Right. Yeah. Right. And then Paul calls him the prince of the power of the air. air. Right. So he has power. And if you will, rulership. Yeah. Yes. But over what? Over the earth. The earth. The earth. Right. So it's important to keep in mind that all of these things, 
the seven heads, the ten hordes, the seven diadems, are claims that the devil makes, like you're saying. They're not the reality of a situation, although in a limited sense it is. But the red color is important, by the way, because it represents murder and bloodshed. It makes it clear that all this stuff is lies. Okay? So who is the dragon? It's the devil, right? The devil, Satan. Um, but, and we get both of those in here, right? Um, where, did it, where did it show up? Tail swept down. It's a little bit later. Uh, verse 9, thank you. Yeah, the great dragon, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan. Um, some meaning to some of those words, okay? Um, Satan, Hasatanus in Greek means adversary or enemy. Um, sometimes it also means accuser. Likewise, devil, diabolos, means slanderer or false accuser. Okay? So, what has the devil been from the beginning? John 8, 44. A liar, right? <laughs> a murderer and a liar. Or, in other words, a false accuser. Right? What was the dragon's intention concerning the male child? Kill him. Yeah, the moment it was born. He, that his intention was to devour the child the moment it was born. Um, Revelation 12, 4. For the second time. Tell me more about that. Didn't you state that when he was born, the devil was there too? That was in, no, when, when Christ was born, yeah. that was his intention. Satan was there hoping to devour him immediately. When he was born. He wasn't able to. Not, not in what we're doing here. Okay. We're talking about Jesus' birth. Yep. Now, Christmas. Okay. Which is also what this is referring to. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this takes us back to the moment of Christ's birth. And and basically... Oh, so him devouring the child here is, is about, when Christ was born? Exactly. Uh, yeah, okay. that's his intention. Uh, all right. Notice he doesn't pull it off. Oh, right? did you say no. he was taken immediately? <clears throat> How many years is that immediate? 33 years. <laughs> right, yeah, it's, it's Christ's entire life. <laughs> right, right. And then 33 years later, he, yeah, yeah, right. And the devil right there, you know, you're thinking, okay, where's the time here? Right, right. Yeah, it's it, that's part of the, what's going on is this is this weird sort of contraction of time that's going on where it, 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 Jesus' entire life is switched down to, and he was taken up to heaven immediately. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. And the reason, I think, is because John is really focusing on what's going on with the church. The church is born with Christ. Christ then ascends into heaven. The church is left here to defend, not itself, that would not be the right way to say it, but, but is left having to defend against attacks of, of the devil. Somebody had a hand up yeah. over here. Skip. Uh, in the study notes, it said that uh, the devil had enacted his plan through Herod when he... Uh, yeah, yeah, the slaughter of the innocents, right. right? Yeah, that was that was his first approach, right? He was like, "Cool, I'm gonna go to Herod, have him kill." Herod got all freaked out. You remember this story? Yeah. Herod was like, "Oh, wait, hang on." When the wise men showed up in in Jerusalem, and, and they were like, "We want to go worship the guy who's born king of the Jews," and he was like, "Oh, wait, hang on, that's me. I don't, what are you talking about?" And and he gets all freaked out, and so they kind of know because of Micah that we'll read and worship today that. The Christ is to be born in Bethlehem, 
and they kind of sort of know the time frame when it would have been when the star appeared. And so Herod puts out an order to kill all the child, all the male children, two years and under, in hopes that he'll catch up in the net the one who was born king of the Jews. And he didn't. And do you remember why? Where did they left to? They went to Egypt. I read about Egypt in a thing called Exodus. Like, I mean, is there some meaning to the fact that they went to Egypt of all places? Yeah, you bet there is. And then he comes out of Egypt and begins this plan of redemption that's all about bringing all of us out of this metaphorical Egypt that is our bondage to sin. The Exodus was was the first attempt, maybe is a way to put it, of the thing that's actually going to be accomplished by Jesus Christ. It gives you the framework to understand what Christ was doing. Because when Christ comes along, he is Israel, like the million-odd people or two million people of Israel, reduced to one. And where they hosed everything up, you know, we're talking about, you know, the difficulties and all that kind of stuff. Where they hosed everything up, he's going to do it right. So the exodus is going to be accomplished this time around through Jesus Christ, who's going to stand in for all of Israel, including baptism, and do all of the things that are needful so that salvation can happen, including paying the penalty for sin. Gentiles, Gentiles. Paying price for Gentiles. For everyone. I know, but I mean, including Gentiles. Yeah. In Israel. Well, and so. I mean, Exodus, I, Israel. Yeah, but Exodus. But in the Exodus, Gentiles went with them. That's true. There Gentiles were, were always a part of, there were of some. the remnants. Yeah. But yeah. they didn't believe. They were with them. As I uh, no, I think there were no. some who believed too that were brought in as well. Yeah. And look at look at Christ's genealogy. The women that are, are listed, they're Gentiles. Who There's believe, a lot of Gentiles. Yeah. And they believe. Yeah. And so, so the, that's an interesting point, though, about what was the role of Israel. And I think what happened was God gave Israel a task. He said, "Y'all have the word. You're responsible to hang on to it and to keep it." you know, undefiled and make sure it gets passed down and everything. You guys are sort of the keepers of the promise. You've got some stuff to do to make sure that all of that stays intact. And by the way, the, the Messiah is going to come from you guys. So there's a lot going on here. And and what happened, and I, I will peg this entirely to sinful nature of people, is the Israelites went, cool, we're the only ones that get saved. <laughs> and, and God's sitting up there going, no, 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 not that. <laughs> Because all along the plan was to save everyone, but the Israelites were a special chosen people that had a role to play in bringing that to fruition. And, and, and the intention was always that everyone would be saved through faith in, in God. But the Israelites were like, that just means we're the only ones. And, and right, yeah. <laughs> exactly that. All right, thoughts, questions? Yeah, when? Prophecy was out of Egypt. I have called my son. Yeah. Yeah. And prophesied, maybe to be understood, out of Egypt, he brought the Israelites who were his child. Right. But more significant, out of Egypt, he called his son, the son of God, yeah. out of Egypt. Right. Matthew really ties in how the birth of Christ and the subsequent things about his birth in later years 
all were done to fulfill prophecy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which adds to the irony of how can anybody deny that Jesus is the Christ? Right. Too many things lined up for yeah. that to be a coincidence. Yeah. yeah. How long was Jesus in Egypt? I don't know that we know, because I, I think the, the accounts, you know, I have played around with those accounts to try and make a timeline out of them, and it's hard. Um, first, when did the wise men, the Magi, appear with their gifts? I, I'm not entirely sure. I'm not even sure that they were necessarily in Bethlehem at the time. I think they might have been back in Nazareth by then. It's just not clear. But my best guess is it was probably a couple of years. Okay. Before they came back then to Nazareth where he was raised. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, do you have any more clarity about that? I don't know how deep you poked at it. If you, if you look at the Mosaic law, they could not have left for Egypt before 33 days. Right. And they came back from Egypt at least by the time of two years. Right. Because Herod was very specific and meticulous about determining the time right. when the wise men saw the star. And so then he gives the order, kill every two-year-old male child in that region. Right. So. And then they went to Egypt. And yeah, and they went to Egypt after the wise men had come to visit in the house in Bethlehem. Yeah. So isn't the next thing when he's like nine and he goes to the twelve? Twelve? Yeah. Twelve. Yeah. So, but yeah, we've just got radio silence for, the, yeah. <laughs> for twelve years. <laughs> so the the two the thirty three days, which was the ceremonial time of cleanliness, time right? of cleansing before Mary could travel, right? And then the return from Egypt. No, no, no. The trip to Egypt. The trip to Egypt. Now, wait a minute, I'm messing my own self up. <laughs> <laughs> this stuff is hard, it, truly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and particularly two if you... Two and a half. At least, you know, two to two and a half. Yeah. No. They could have left for Egypt after 33 days. But in Matthew, doesn't it say that... And then he returned from Egypt. Was in the temple. That was 12. Well, yeah, that's 12 years later. Did he return to Egypt after Herod died? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. He returned from Egypt. They saw in a dream. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, having been told in a dream that Herod had died. Okay, the death of Herod. And Herod's death, there's a timeline, a historical timeline for that. Yeah. I don't know what it is. The coming of the wise men could have been up to two years. That's what I'm messing okay. with myself. Okay. okay. So sometime between 33 days and two years, they lived in Bethlehem. Okay. Then they went to Egypt. Then they went to Nazareth. There you go. There you go. And the answer to your question about exactly when that happened, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Dave. What kind of class is this? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You can't raise your hand anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Keep asking them, Dave. It's all good. Keep checking. What? Back to that other class. We're in a class by ourselves. Okay, it was Herod the Great, right? Yes. Herod the Great died in 4 BC. 4 BC, okay. 
But but we can't say with certainty that Jesus was born in zero BC right. or no. AD or whatever. Four BC. Yeah. So it was Herod. It was Herod's son. Herod oh. was it Herod Antipas? Yeah. 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 So Herod the Great had died just before Jesus was born. Okay. It so was Herod started. Antipas, I think, is his son. Google will tell us. <laughs> <laughs> the predominant theological tool. 39 BC is when Herod Antipas died. Okay. Well, that's true because he was around through Jesus' life, life and death. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I... Who asked this question? Yeah. Dave. <laughs> Let's get back to our... This rabbit hole goes too deep. <laughs> what do we celebrate in Luke 2, 6, and 7 and... Acts 1, 9 through 11. Is it the birth and ascension? Yes, exactly. Birth of Christ, ascension of Christ. How are these moments summarized in Revelation 12, 5? <laughs> Two sentences. John summarizes the entire ministry of Jesus Christ on earth. She gave birth to a son, and her child was snatched up to God to his throne. Point being... The devil had put himself in a position to devour the child, Christ, the moment he was born, and yet he had no opportunity to do so because the child was snatched up to God. Was there ever really a chance that the devil would prevail? No. 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 But he didn't. Okay, we're going to go back one more time. Okay, go. What has the Google told Mary you? Mary died between 4 and 6 BC, which is when Christ was born. Okay. And Jesus stayed in Egypt for 1,266 days, which is three years, five months, and seven days. That's really interesting, actually. And it references well, Revelation 12.1 as the, re the reference for that. Right. Interesting. Because... 1260 days has popped up before and it's no, about to again. 1266 right. Three and a half years this is the Roman flag. Right. It's the right. second half. That's the second half of the tribulation. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, this three and a half year period. Woo! Connections! <laughs> this is why we have you here. All right. How, here we go. How long is the woman protected by God in the wilderness? Anyone? <laughs> 1,260 days, which is... All right. How long is the woman protected by God in Revelation? Revelation 12, 14. A time, times, and half a time. You may remember we talked about this in chapter 11, right? A time is a year. A time, times, half a time, three and a half years. Okay? Um, we're going to talk about more about this in a second. Compare the battle between Michael and the devil, Revelation 12, 7 through 9, to Jesus' declaration in Luke 10, 18. So, Revelation 12, 7 through 9. War arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who's called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. What about Luke 10, 18? 
Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Pastor. Sir. The revelation said he was hurled down. Mm -hmm. I'm not familiar with that Greek word. Is it similar to being... Sorry. Let's um, see. Um, he was defeated, and the great dragon was thrown down. Verse nine. Verse nine. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. Oh, that's the NIV translation. I'm not sure what the yeah. ESV is. ESV says he was thrown down. Okay. Yeah. NIV says diabolos, kai hasatanas. Planon ten oiko. It's not the same Greek word that. No, it is not ekbala. Okay. Um, oh, yeah, it is, actually. It's, different. it's a different form of it. Um, yeah, eblethe. It is ekbala. Yeah. So it is, it's that same word that we talked about with Jesus being flung into the desert um, for um, the temptation. No, hurl actually is a pretty good translation. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, it is the same. It is, um, come on, where's my mouse? Yeah, aorist, passive, indicative, third person singular. For people who care about that stuff. So the same type of activity that put Jesus in the desert was the same type of activity that put the devil on the earth. Yeah, yeah, Out true. Yep. Ironic connection there. Yeah, <laughs> uh, maybe not ironic. Maybe intentional. When, uh, when Satan was uh, thrown, yes, or fell from heaven. Yeah. Because of rebellion, which was a sin. Yep. So Satan also fell from sin. Yes. So does that uh, your Greek word or oh. refer to any anything about that? Because he because of his rebellion, which was sinful. There was he oh. fell. So, so his own fall into sin yeah. because of sin in that sense. So, also uh, symbolic of that, besides physically being hurled or falling down. Yeah, I don't think the Greek word specifically does. Although, I think it's kind of interesting to think of the notion that Eve, Adam and Eve's fall into sin is actually dealt with by Christ, whereas Satan's fall is never redeemed or redeemable. Right, that his fall is for eternity, whereas Adam and Eve, their fall is is fixed by Christ. Right, he steps well, in. We don't know whether Adam and Eve are saved. Well, we do because I think I think you can say because they believed in the promise that was given to them in, in uh, the Garden of Eden, um, and and you know Eve doesn't have a name until after the fall. She was just a woman. Um, and she's given the name because she would be the mother of many. So if she's so, saved, we can ask her all these questions. Yeah, right. We can ask her when we get to heaven. I like that. I like that. All right. I'm going to wrap us up because we have to go get ready for worship. So we'll... <laughs> um, what is today? 12, 19. Um, remember, next... So Friday, 7 p.m., Saturday, 10 a.m., Sunday, 10 a.m. No Bible study next week, no um, Sunday school, just worship 10 a.m. on Sunday. Okay? Let's close with a prayer.
Gracious Lord God, Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for all the blessings that you give to us and especially the gift of faith and trust in you through which we have salvation for eternity. Be with us today as we go forth from here. Guide and lead us in all that we do that it might be pleasing to you and bring glory to your name. We ask it through your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Blessings on your week.